0: Welcome back to the program. Fifty years ago this week, the nation experienced one of the seminal moments of the 20th century. Along with two world wars, the dawning of the nuclear age, and the landing of men on the moon, the assassination of JFK was one of the century's tentpoles. As such, it never ceases to fascinate us. What other event of the 20th century still conjures up as many unanswered questions? Is there anyone who still believes that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, and that the Warren Commission was accurate, I'd say probably the same number of people who believe that Elvis is still alive. My guest, Mark Shaw, postulates a new theory of the case, one that has as its progenitor the callous and politically expedient actions of the Kennedy patriarch, Joseph P. Kennedy. Mark Shaw is the author of 25 previous books. He's been a legal analyst at ABC, ESPN, and USA Today. He's a California attorney who knew Jack Ruby's attorney, Melvin Belli, in the 80s when he wrote The King of the Courtroom, the only biography of Belli. It is my pleasure to welcome Mark Shaw here to talk about The Poison Patriarch, how the betrayals of Joseph P. Kennedy caused the assassination of JFK. Mark Shaw, thanks so much for joining
1: us. Thank you, Jeff.
0: Great to have you here. Before we talk a little bit about the things that you've written about in the Poison Patriarch, I want to talk in a broader sense about the fact that we still, to this day, that so much of the country is still fascinated by the events surrounding the the assassination 50 years ago, and truly we can never seem to get enough of it.
1: Yeah, people say it's the greatest cold case in history. They call it also the greatest murder mystery in history, and I think it's the mysterious part of it that still fascinates people. Uh, you know, could Oswald have figured all this out and done it by himself or who was behind this? And so I, I think that people, uh, many young people perhaps, are still very much confused by what happened back then and why it's important. I happen to feel it's important for history's sake that we we find out what really occurred back then so there isn't this confusion for young people growing up. But I think it's the mystery, Jeff, of of uh, what happened, and, and and nobody can quite figure it out, people believe, and so it just lingers out there, uh, this this uh, cold case in history that nobody can solve.
0: And of course, as time goes by, and and particularly among young people, as the distrust of government and distrust of institutional power continues to grow, there seems to be even less belief in the Warren Commission report and in the official documents surrounding the case.
1: Yeah, I think there is that distrust now of almost any government uh, document or investigation or whatever it is. You know, we we never know where the money's coming from these days, and it's the same as what happened back in 1963. We'll get into that in a minute with Joe Kennedy and the abuse of power and corruption with money that he had, but it's the same uh, way today uh with the supreme court decision you know we corporations involved in fundraising and and political donations and everything i think people don't know where the money comes from and so they always wonder you know what the agenda is 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 somebody doing whatever they're doing impartially or they're doing it because they were put up to something and so i think that adds um uh, to the the um, feeling by people that you really can't trust the government anymore and that's that's uh, that's too bad. It really is.
0: Given that there are dozens and dozens of theories and books on the assassination, what set you on this particular quest?
1: Well, uh, I, I actually stumbled onto the information. I never set out to write about uh, the JFK assassination or, or um, you know, to to really get involved with all of that or, or target uh, the indictment as I have in the book of Joe Kennedy. I had written a book about, as you mentioned, uh, Melvin Belli, uh, published in 2007. I knew Mr. Belli in the 80s, always fascinated by him. But as I began to interview friends and colleagues who knew Belli, especially back in the 60s and 70s, something was fishy about the Jack Ruby case. Um, In the book, I have 23 different uh, troubling points about his representation of Ruby. Among them are that he you know, uh, was a personal injury lawyer. Well, why did he become Jack Ruby's criminal defense attorney? Bell Belli told conflicting stories about, you know, how he became uh, Ruby's uh, lawyer. I-, I always questioned the insanity defense that he used to defend Ruby because you could take that man at that time, the most hated, he had killed the most hated man in the world, Oswald, and throw him in front of a jury and get him a few years. But Belli used this insanity defense um, he also would not let uh, Ruby testify uh, about what happened on that morning in Dallas. And then Belleye was a blabbermouth. Jeff, he would, he, he loved, uh, you know, he loved the the, the spotlight. Uh, he used to go to hotels, and the first thing he would do is page himself, so that everybody would know he was there. And yet he would never talk about the Ruby case. So all of these things triggered my interest in finding out a little bit more about Belleye, including the connections that he had to the mafia.
0: Talk a little bit about whether or not there is separation or there ever could have been separation from the Ruby case to the assassination itself and the way that you believe and that some believe that they're inextricably linked.
1: Well, Lee Harvey Oswald, nobody will ever figure out what happened with him. He's a murky character. I barely touch on him in the book except to connect him with the one mafioso that I think was masterminded the assassinations because that's important. But he's a murky character and nobody can figure him out. But Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby is the missing link to all of this. He was right in the middle of everything and Bell Eye right along with him. So if you focus on Jack Ruby and then you tilt things another way, which I did after I began to investigate further, and you look at why Bobby Kennedy was not killed in 1963, Instead of why JFK was, everything changes. And the reason for that is because of Bobby Kennedy, as the prosecutor, the main prosecutor of Jack Ruby, told me, um, I-, I was surprised when JFK got killed. I thought it would be Bobby because of all of his enemies, and that was the truth. Bobby had many more enemies than, than uh, Jack Kennedy did, and you can then trace back and link back and connect back jack ruby to those people who hated bobby kennedy the most
0: of course many people hated bobby kennedy he had many enemies among the mafia as you talk about
1: but among a lot of other groups as well yes but there was one man uh, and again i trace this back to joe kennedy he joe kennedy wanted to be president jeff and he he, he screwed up during the world war he pacified the nazis he was ambassador to britain um he he he, he um, advocated isolationism uh FDR ripped him back to the United States and Joe Kennedy's uh reputation was in shambles well if I can't be president Joe said I'll put one of my sons there and we know what he did it was going to be Joe Kennedy Jr but he got killed in the war so it was Bobby it was uh, Jack Kennedy um put him in uh, the senator's spot and then ran him for president in 60 but Joe felt like the election was going to be close he was going to lose in Illinois, and West Virginia, so he called in some old old mafia buddies he had. They used their power and money to win those states for JFK, but the deal was that if uh, JFK uh, was in in the White House, the mafia would be left alone, and especially one man named Carlos Marcello, uh, a New Orleans Don whose empire extended to Dallas. And it's Marcello who hated Bobby the most. Bobby had deported him, and... Marcello re-entered the country, and Bobby was trying to deport him again. He charged him with conspiracy. There was a trial occurring in November of 1963, just at the same time as the assassination took place. Marcello was desperate, and he was the one man who hated uh, Bobby more than any other, and had connections to Jack Ruby, and then to Belli through Belli's client, the mobster Mickey Cohen, and you can see how that all circulates together. And and what I try to do in the book is give a common sense approach to what happened. No sensationalism, no speculation, no rumor, no entertainment value, just plain facts laid out like a prosecutor would for a jury.
0: And talk a little bit about the decision that Joe Kennedy made to insist really, to, to really force Jack to bring Bobby in as Attorney General.
1: Well, excellent, because it's a decision that changed the course of history. And John Sigenthaler, who is as respected a journalist as we have in this country, uh, now head of the First Amendment Center in Nashville, uh, was Bobby Kennedy's press secretary. And he was right there when um, uh, Joe Kennedy insisted, ordered, whichever word you want to use, JFK to appoint Bobby Kennedy Attorney General. And that was just a shock to those who had been promised they would be left alone because they knew Bobby would come after them. It was a double cross. And I think Joe Kennedy, people have asked me, why would he do that? Well, I think he had that feeling the Kennedys have, that they played by different rules, that their actions didn't have consequences, that he could get away with that. But Bobby went after those guys. And, you know, you can't mess with those guys, and I'll just tell you, one personal experience so you'll know when i was with good morning america in the late nineteen seventies i interviewed the lawyer for a mobster in philadelphia named uh, carlo uh, named uh, angelo bruno and i went over there and interviewed him and he gave me some great information about the mafia and atlantic city and all of that and so they played that the next day on good morning america they really liked the story and said mark can you get him to talk to you again so I called his office that next morning and the secretary answered and she kind of had a, a muffled uh, tone to her voice and I said, well, his mister, whatever his name was, I can't recall it, there, and she said, there was silence. And then she came back on and I said, D- excuse me, but I really would like to talk to him again. And she, she was crying, I could tell, and she said, well, Mr. Shaw, don't you understand? I guess you don't know. They blew up his car today with him in it. Mm. You can't mess with those guys. And Joe Kennedy decided uh, he was he was uh, bigger than life, he had the power, he had the money, but that decision he made to force JFK to appoint Bobby Attorney General, as I say, changed the course of history and caused the senseless death of JFK.
0: What belief did they have? What assurance do you think that the the, the mob had that, in fact, even if Kennedy was dead, even if Johnson became president... That Bobby Kennedy wouldn't continue as Attorney General for a protracted period of time, and that the prosecutions would continue.
1: Well, that's a great question. Why don't you kill uh, Bobby Kennedy? Well, those guys are smart, and they, and they realize if you kill John Kennedy, then I mean, excuse me, if you call, uh, kill Bobby Kennedy, Jack Kennedy will come after you with everything the government has, all the forces that, that were possible. But if you kill John Kennedy, then, Bobby Kennedy no longer has his brother in the White House. He no longer has the power. Some called him the assistant president, Bobby Kennedy. Well, it was because his brother was president. Now his brother is dead, and Bobby just wilted from from view. He never bothered those guys again while he was attorney general before he resigned. And in fact, you know, in the book I mention, my theories are really confirmed by Bobby Kennedy himself. Right after he learned of JFK's death, when J. Edgar Hoover called him, he, he said, "You know, um, I thought they would get one of us. I thought it would be me." And we don't have the time, I'm sure, for me to read from the book. But later on, he told Richard Goodwin, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin's uh, husband, uh, "You know, uh, the same thing. Uh, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, I thought it was um, thought they were going to kill me, not John, because of my enemies." So. Uh, Bobby knew, and Bobby tells us who killed his brother, and unfortunately, I have trouble getting the mainstream media to to um, to want to hear this. They want to go with all of these other um, pie-in-the-sky theories and things like that, but Bobby Kennedy actually told us, and, and it's confirmed, who killed his brother, and, and yet you have trouble uh, getting people to listen to that particular theory because... Uh, in the end, the ultimate responsibility goes to the doorstep of Joe Kennedy.
0: What did J. Edgar Hoover know, and when did he know it?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. He he really pulled one over on the media and the American public like none done before. Because right after uh, the, the assassination, uh, he decided it was Lee Harvey Oswald, and he convinced everybody else it was. Uh, you can you can read in the book the memos that he wrote. The memos are written uh, to him back and forth with his agents and so on and so forth. It is Lee Harvey Oswald, and that is it. And we are not going any further because, uh, for for uh, to save face in some ways, Hoover did that. Because if it was a conspiracy of any kind, then people were going to ask, well, why couldn't you have prevented this? But if it's some nut like they were calling Oswald at the time who did this, then. Hoover doesn't have any responsibility for that. He, 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 he gets a, a free pass. And so the, the way that he did that and closed off everything, then that led to the focus on Oswald and no one else, Ruby, Belli, anyone else at the time. And then that was elongated when you went on into the Warren Commission. And when they came out with Oswald uh, being the lone gunman, that was it. So you talk about a distortion of history. Vince Bugliosi and others who advocate this Oswald thing. It's like they they read J. Edgar Hoover's mind and decided that's what they wanted to do. And as I say, uh, J. Edgar Hoover uh, pulled a trick. He, he, He got everybody looking in the wrong direction, and they've been doing that for 50 years.
0: Why were there very few efforts on the part of the Warren Commission to look into the Mafia connection, the New Orleans Mafia connection, Carlos Marcello, etc.?
1: Well, back then, I think they wanted to close the door. You know, they didn't want people believing. You know, we have the same thing today, Jeff, when, when we, we hear of a tragic accident or a tragic incident of some sort where, you know, somebody, well, now we wonder, are there more people involved? Well, most of the time, law enforcement, investigative bodies or whatever, they don't want the American people to feel like they're in harm's way. They want to close the case. They want to say it was this one person, and that's it. And so that's what happened back then. And Hoover started it, and then the commission decided we don't want to look into those areas because, again, that's going to show that there could still be some people out there that, that were involved in this. And so the safe way to go was to say Oswald alone, and that's the, the myth that has been uh, you know, connected all the way through 50 years now.
0: And talk a little bit, come back around to the Jack Ruby connection and where he fits into this picture.
1: Well, it's it's most interesting, you know. Uh, my theory here is that J- uh, Carlos Marcello is the man who hated the Kennedys the most, and Bobby especially, and he's the desperate one. Well, in my opinion, he had no alternative but to eliminate JFK so Bobby would be powerless. Then what happens? There's a loose end. Lee Harvey Oswald is captured. I think he's a, one of the soldiers, perhaps, that uh Marcello sent to Dallas, we'll never know, but he gets captured. Well, now you've got a loose end, uh, because what is Oswald going to say? Well, the perfect thing to do is to silence him. So you bring in Jack Ruby, who's a mafia wannabe, a Mickey Cohen, um, lo- uh, he just loved Mickey Cohen, he loved the mafia, loved all of that. Well, you bring him in, and through your Dallas connections, where Marcello's empire you know, uh, he had his empire as well in in Dallas, you bring in your police connections, you sneak Ruby into the basement, and he kills Lee Harvey Oswald, now that uh, is just perfect mafia, the way they do things, you know, you you shut him up, but wait a minute, now we've got Jack Ruby, and he's a blabbermouth as well, so what do we do? My opinion is, Marcello went through Mickey Cohen, Mickey Cohen's Lawyer was Melvin Belli, who was a mafia wannabe as well and connected all the way up through, mafia-approved and all that. You bring him into the case, and he does what? He is told, you silence Jack Ruby. So Belli comes up with this ludicrous, psychomotor, epilepsy, insanity defense to make Ruby look like he's crazy, and he never lets Ruby testify. Case closed, exit strategy done. Uh, Marcello's safe, and basically when they focus then on Oswald, those guys, the guys who got away with murder, in my opinion, get a pass.
0: What involvement did Oswald have? Was he working for Carlos Marcello in your theory? Were there others that were there in Dallas at the same time?
1: Well, again, these questions that I'm asked about Lee Harvey Oswald, I hope you'll excuse me, but I believe they are just... uh, uh, dead ends. Uh, there's connections between Oswald and Marcello in New Orleans, no question about that. But it's just, as I say, he's a murky character. And and I think, yes, he was some, somehow involved in all of this with his, uh, you know, with the, with the shooting from the depository, the book depository that may have happened. They tied him in with all of this, of course, ballistics tests and medical tests and everything now, question all of that. But it's just a dead end. Uh, I just hate for people to continue to focus on that part of the assassination instead of looking at the obvious, which have to do with the detective's best friends. I mean, that's what I went by as a former criminal defense lawyer, the only one who's investigated the assassinations. Motive, means, opportunity, and benefit from the crime. When you line those up, Marcello is the one who comes to the forefront and I'm telling you a first year prosecutor could take the evidence that I have in my book and go in and convict Marcello and all of those who were involved with him including Cohen and and, uh, and Ruby and uh, Belli and all of them based on that evidence that I have.
0: If we put Oswald aside, how many others might have pulled the actual trigger in Dallas?
1: Well, again, you have to think about how the mafia works, and you know, you put them in a corner, they're going to react, and this is what happened with Marcello. Others have pointed towards him, but nobody has connected him to Ruby and to Belli like I have through Mickey Cohen and all of that, and I really believe that that what happened is um, he had his connections in Dallas, uh, Marcello did and he recruited a number of people. We, we still don't know probably who they all were. There's uh, speculation about them at all, but I think Oswald may have been one of them. The biggest problem with Oswald is motive. Uh, Vince Bugliosi and Gerald Posner and these other people who continue to focus on Oswald can never come up with a motive other than he was this wacky guy, uh, nut they call him, who somehow or another you know, wanted to be a big shot, or distrusted this or that, uh, who knows? I mean, there's no concrete motive there. If you try Lee Harvey Oswald in front of a jury, you're never going convic- to get a conviction. But if you try Marcello, Ruby, and and then somehow or another try to bring in some of those that he would have ordered to be in Dallas and and actually execute the assassination, I think you've got a much better chance of a, of a conviction.
0: Talk a little bit about, beyond the statement that you talked about previously, Robert Kennedy's reaction to the assassination and Joseph Kennedy's reaction.
1: Well, as I say, Bobby Kennedy's been, you know, overlooked. He, he was overlooked by, again, I th- I don't know why the mainstream media are scared of me, scared of what I'm going to say about Bobby Kennedy and and Joe Kennedy, and, and all of this. Maybe they just think the Kennedys have been through enough, but you've got to focus on Bobby Kennedy and why he wasn't killed instead of why Jack was. And then you take the statements he made. Um, just think about it common sense-wise. The man who hated him the most was Marcello, and uh, Bobby knew it. And, and in the book, when I, when I quote you know, uh, uh, Richard Goodwin, who, uh, let's see, just quickly, One night during the summer of 67, RFK, in a rare moment of disclosure, told advisor and speechwriter Richard Goodwin that he thought his brother had been killed by the guy from New Orleans, meaning Marcello. Bobby's trying to tell us, just like he did after he heard from from, uh, J. Edgar Hoover. "I, I thought they would get one of us. I thought it would be me.
0: Talk a little bit about Joseph Kennedy.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, uh, you know, Joe Kennedy, uh, in my book, uh, I talk about the fact that he had been warned that Bobby was, instead of, you know, watching the Godfather films lately, <laughs> you know, it, instead of it, it's just business, it's not personal, remember that. Well, it's the same situation here. Bobby made it personal instead of business, and Joe Kennedy knew that. And he was warned shortly beha- before he had his stroke That Bobby needed to lay off, you know, that the mobsters, you know, believed in their own mind that Joe had made that promise to him that they'd be left alone. Now the double cross came and Bobby's going after him. Well, in my mind, Joe knew that. He had been warned, but then he had the stroke and there was nothing he could have done about it. Even if Bobby would have listened to him, there was nothing he could do about it. And the day that he found out that Ted Kennedy told him that JFK had, had died, and he was looking at the New York Times headline at the time. He swept that paper off of his bed and started crying. And in my mind, Joe Kennedy knew. He knew that the decision that he had made had backfired, and that Bobby going after those guys, and Joe knew how ruthless they were, how dangerous they were, I think he knew. Uh, that, that the decision had backfired on him, and it was his actions forcing JFK to appoint Bobby uh, Bobby Attorney General and Bobby going after them that had caused the death of, of JFK.
0: Given that, how does one explain Bobby Kennedy's decisions later to go back into public life as, as a senator and as a candidate for president?
1: There's a chapter in the book called Bobby's Remorse, and you will hear... Those, you know, there's more than 40 eyewitnesses to history, never published before in this book, and many of them go back and tell you what Bobby was like after JFK's death. Well, he was just, you know, he was just devastated. And, and most people believe, you know, because he had lost, you know, his brother, which is, which is uh, predictable. But also the guilt. And I say, you know, uh, you, know you reap what you sow in life. And Joe Kennedy reaped what he had sown, and so had Bobby. You can't, uh, you can't go after guys that are dangerous like that and not expect consequences. And so Bobby's remorse is all about the guilt that he had. And I, that went on for quite a long time. Then he, you know, he traveled around the world a little bit. He didn't do anything as attorney general to go after the mafia. He never looked into who. He didn't want to know anything more about what happened in Dallas. Then he resigned and then I think he felt like the only way that he could in some way make up for that, those terrible actions that he took that caused the death of his brother was to get back into public life. But I will tell you, if Bobby Kennedy had ever become president, he would have never gone back and investigated his brother's death. I think he knew that um, you know, his family may have been in jeopardy. He was still in jeopardy. Um, I think he would have never touched that again. But I think that's why he went back into public life uh, to somehow or another decide in his own mind that maybe that would make up for the sins that he had that he had committed that had caused the death of his brother.
0: And has anyone made the case that there are links to Sirhan Sirhan in the assassination of Bobby?
1: He's the same dead end that Lee Harvey Oswald is. Nobody in their right mind. They've, people have said to me, okay, Mark, is your next book about... Mm-hmm. Sirhan Sirhan, no, because nobody can figure that one out. Some people think there may be a connection. My own feeling is it's a dead end. He's another murky character that we can't figure out. I don't want to get into speculation and rumor and all of that. I deal with facts like a, like a lawyer would as a prosecutor laying out for a jury, and I don't think anybody will ever figure out the Sirhan Sirhan uh, uh, you know, killing of Bobby Kennedy.
0: Are we looking for still a single piece of evidence, the proverbial smoking gun, that will confirm many of the arguments and many of the theories that you're
1: postulating? I think it's right there in the book. I think it's what Bobby Kennedy says. Why not listen to him? Why won't the, the, the media focus on that and say to themselves, look... Um, you know, we we know from Ed Guthman, who was the, the the press secretary. That's what uh, the Bobby said. I thought it would be one of us. I thought it would be me. We know from Richard Goodman uh, what Bobby said. There there are three or four other uh, statements like that. Um, so why don't we listen to him? He, he's the smoking gun. He's the focus. He's the guy that we should listen to, and then connect everything else up using motive. And to me, this case should have been solved a long time ago. It shouldn't have labored on for 50 years, because it's all right there if you just listen to Bobby.
0: And what did Melvin Belli know, coming back to where this all started for you? How much of it do you think that he knew?
1: Oh, I think he knew a great deal about it. Um you know, in 1994, there was a book uh, written called Mob Lawyer by Frank Regano, who represented Camarcello, uh, James Hoffa, and Santo Traficante. And Belli had become um, uh, uh, Frank Regano's lawyer in a libel case he had in Florida. And there's a very alarming quote in that book that, that I feel like summarizes something about Belli that, that should, should really trigger people's interest in him. Uh, Tropicante says to the mobster, says to Regano, uh, I'm surprised Melvin Belli is your lawyer. And and Regano says, well, why? Uh, and And Tropicante says, well, just let me tell you one thing. Don't ever ask him about the Jack Ruby case. It's none of your business. Belli, who would sue everybody in the world for anything at the drop of a hat, never even responded to Regano. I've interviewed Regano's wife Regan- uh, Belli let it go Belli would never talk about the Ruby case Belli in my opinion was ready to go if there was somebody who was um, uh, uh, arrested after the JFK assassination he would have represented that person in fact I have a quote from a friend of Belli's who was there with Belli in a San Francisco restaurant when a waiter came up and said Oswald has been shot and and Belli said to him okay There goes my... I'm going to clean it up a little bit. Okay, there goes my client, Oswald. Now I'll have to defend Ruby. There's other remarks and and eyewitness testimony in the book that Belli was on call. I think he, he had an idea of what was going to happen in Dallas. Maybe he wasn't aware completely of the details, but I think the mob lawyer Belli was on call. And in fact, during the during the trial, the Judge Joe Brown in his memoir recalls that Belli kept mixing up Oswald and Ruby during the trial as if he was representing Ruby, as if he was representing Oswald. So there's that eyewitness testimony that connects Belli with knowledge of, I believe, what was happening, and he was ready to go to Dallas uh, to defend whoever he was ordered to do so.
0: Mark Shaw, the book is The Poison Patriarch, How the Betrayals of Joseph P. Kennedy Caused the Assassination of JFK. Mark, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Thank you. Great questions, Jeff. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.